Hello, and welcome to Art Matters at Home, a new arts and culture podcast from Philips. I'm your host, Arnold Lehman. After a half century in the art world, mostly as a museum director in Baltimore and Brooklyn, and five years at Philips as senior advisor, which means someone who is old, knows a lot of people, and isn't shy about voicing opinions, hosting an interview series like this seems like a perfect fit for me. So for each episode, like today's, I'll be at my desk having a socially distanced, at home conversation with friends from around the world, artists, dealers, museum directors and curators, collectors and critics, to learn from them how and what they are doing and what is on their minds today and for tomorrow. It's not often that I really get to introduce an icon. And um, Fab Five Freddy, who is with me right now, is certainly an icon in so many fields, in the area of graffiti, um, in the area of street art, in the area of hip hop, and most importantly, even with a lot of films, a lot of TV, a lot of music making, most importantly, from my perspective, um, Fab was responsible for bringing it all together, for bringing the Bronx down to Brooklyn, from downtown to uptown. You were kind of the key to get all those people together, from hip hop to punk, from, I mean, from, you name it. Uh, Fab was right in the middle of that. And the thing that I've, oh, I once read, and I've always remembered, is that in 1991, there was an article in the New Yorker who mm. said you were the <laughs> coolest guy in New York City. Thanks to Susan Orlean, yeah, they wrote that amazing 17 page article boy that was a that was something <laughs> well very very few people ever get an accolade like that um, oh, i would like to have been the hundredth runner-up but to be the <laughs> coolest guy in brooklyn in brooklyn the coolest guy in new york city forget just brooklyn oh, boy. <laughs> anyway so we haven't seen one another for almost a decade i don't know how we let yeah. that happen Whoa. um we worked together on a great graffiti show at the Brooklyn Museum. Um, I, I, you may not remember this, but I think we originally met in around 19, in 1980 in that big Times Square show. Oh, wow. I had no idea. Right. Well, um, I was there on a number of occasions right. because I was so, that was the first time that I saw uh, graffiti artists all being brought together. You know, I know there were other shows before that, uh, but this was a real, this was big time in that sort of dilapidated old building, but everything, yes. but it all looked great. And there was such, speaking of vibes, there was such an amazing vibe there um, those couple of months that that exhibition was on. Yeah. It was an amazing, amazing uh, exhibition, which I've never forgotten. Um, I met a lot of people there, I think, for the first time. And uh, um, and just to think, that's 40 years ago. 
40 years ago. Um, And one of the most exciting times in New York City history in terms of music and art. and, And you were right there. You were the center of it. So I thank you very much uh, with talking to me today. We're in a very different world, a very different time. Um, my hope is that it's a time that will really prove to be incredibly important, uh, not just for all of us in New York City, but for um, entire United States, certainly for when the white community finally starts thinking about what's been going on for forever. Um, you can't, can't even put, you can't even put a date on it. So um, I'm so thrilled that you're willing to just kind of reflect uh, from your point of view, what's happening, at least in New York City. Um, you know, Black Lives Matter is, uh, is something that people should say when they get up in the morning and when they go to sleep at night. So with that, you think this is gonna bring us maybe not all together right away, but it's gonna move towards that end? I mean, I think what, we're, what we've been witnessing is um, it's kind of, it's a, it's a very interesting double-edged sword um, for, for many people of, of whatever the ethnicity or the race that have been close to these issues that the world has now gotten a very clear picture of. There have been other pictures, thank God, in this video, in this technological era. You know, this begins with the video uh, beating of Rodney King, the savage beating of Rodney King back in the early 90s that, of course, led to an uprising in the streets of Los Angeles. And we've had too many too many others, countless, literally, and then with the sad, slow motion, horrific, um, brutal, I mean, every horrific adjective fits what we all witnessed, the the killing of of George Floyd was one of those, like, as, as we say, it was a tipping point moment that has brought people together in, in a, in a real, um, in a way that we've really never seen, like let's be honest, over an issue like that, we've never seen this diverse an outcry in the streets, in 50 states, and 20 or 30 countries around the world. So it's really heartening, and it's the force of the people coming together to say this must stop, and we're gonna keep this same energy going on this issue until we have, um, what we would all like to live in, you know, like a, like a real honest, peaceful world where we can get rid of these, um, these just really harsh, uh, systemic racist practices that have been too deeply embedded, um, particularly in this country. It also, some of what I've seen, it's such a vast, massive movement, but then yet at the same time, so unique, it's sort of reminiscent of the anti-apartheid struggles that went on through the 80s into the 90s, where there was a concerted effort of, of course, people putting their feet down in the streets protesting, but then we turned the economic screws where we got hundreds of companies to divest their investments in countries, uh, to divest companies that had connections financially to what was going on in South Africa. 
you know, I'm also, as you know, I'm a filmmaker and I directed many music videos during the same time that I hosted Yo MTV Raps, which is a show that put hip hop music on TVs. Now it's all on computers but on, and on your phones, but on TVs across the country and, um, and around the world. And that's where people got to hear these voices in a way that they'd never heard before. This is where they got to hear N.W.A. talk about F the police, fuck the police. I mean, that was a dramatization of what black kids had been going through. And um, um, during that time when I hosted UMTV Raps, I got to direct the, uh, the first videos for Queen Latifah and Ladies First was one of her first big videos where the narrative, I added her as, a, as a, one of the, um, the anti-apartheid like generals I depicted her as such in the video and got a close-up look. I got footage from a guy that was on the ground um, documenting those South African struggles and what was happening. And then that relentless pressure forced the apartheid regime to step down, free Nelson Mandela. And I mean, we're hoping for something as big and as decisive with what is going on now because it's amazing me every day to see hundreds of thousands of people hit the street, pulling down statues of slave traders that have been up in, in England and Confederate, um, you know, Confederate people, statues across the, you know, the, the South. It's just, it's just an amazing time. It's an amazing time. I'm always trying to find that silver lining um, to kind of balance out what we all had to witness a couple of weeks ago, seeing George Ford George Floyd strangled in front of our eyes. Yeah, an indelible image, I think, but an image that is, um, as you said, um, there's a technology does some real good. And by being able to have a worldwide distribution of that uh, in front of everyone's eyes, there, you know, there's just no denying what happened. There's no, he said, she said. Um, there's no things happening, you know, out of town anymore. Uh, when you think of the lynchings and so on that took place uh, for so many years and people, you know, there's there just so much denial, but you can't yeah. deny this. You can't deny no, that's and And I think the fact of that matter and, as a person that's been involved in, as you know, with your life and looking at painters and visual artists um, pick these images to make these statements in their work, oftentimes or sometimes that affect issues that relate to us. It's been really an amazing moment. You know, going into this pandemic, I had just recently moved my visual art studio was in Harlem where I've been painting and then that situation ended and I recently moved to a new studio in the Bronx. And this was like in the fall, I was settling in. And then the jolt of moving forced me to rethink what I was making, wanted to reapproach, you know, like a new space and all. I've been pulled up out of my comfort zone, which I don't mind, but I had to really process what I wanted to make. And then this pandemic kicked in. Where, where we had to sit down. And then this has also forced me to rethink, because it's been, that's also on top of what we're dealing with in terms of fighting 
for racial e equality and some justice for too many people murdered. It's also we're dealing with this super duper life threatening pandemic, which has hit New York the epicenter the hardest. So really and a the, lot to and the black and the black community the hardest and black and brown people disproportionately too hard, which is a reflecting a reflection of the poor health care available for too many people. That's really what a lot of that has to do with and the food deserts that surround too many poor communities as well as bad habits. Um, so you've, you've got, we have a compounding of issues which has um, driven people, you know, we have a, a pandemic on, on, a, on par or comparable, if you will, because it's been the only one of its kind to the Spanish flu. We have an economic situation close to a depression, and now we're fighting for uh, racial equality in, in a way that now has galvanized millions of people around the world. And look, it's an amazing time to be alive because it's a fight that like needs to happen right now. And I'm happy that so many people, I did, uh, just a week before this took place, I was discussing with somebody very concerned about these issues as all of my creative friends are. And we were just saying, man, like we can't wait until we can have an election and get a chance to put a real leader back in play. But um, people I know are fed up and would love to take to the streets, but they can't because of this life-threatening health issue. Basically, everybody's like every like most of my friends are creatives. So I thought immediately when the pandemic started. It was like I felt for people that have more regimented lives um, and how they're coping with kids being home. Everybody's home on like all on top of each other and everything in New York City, uh, all the 15,000 restaurants and everything else that we would typically take for granted and go do has all been shut down. So I think I was really all my creative friends have been coming up with creative ways of rethinking. It's a bit easier when you're a creative to like turn on a dime and come up with a new thing to do or a, a, a way to process this endeavor. Whereas the other folks, it's been more of a like, you know, friction and tensions and trying to cope. It's been remarkable. But yeah, so that's really what a lot of the discussions have been. And then just trying to live through it all was been the focus, obviously, particularly in New York. But now, like I said, with this incidents that have gone on that have forced people out into the streets, it's been people have really been taking great risks to stand up for some equality, which is a remarkable sight to see. Uh, it is um, uh, all over the country, um, especially young people where I mean, they're always the makers of change, uh, but they've really been out in force. Um, every, every, as you said earlier, every ethnicity, every race, every color. Um, it's been a, it's been a very heartwarming result of a very sad situation. Yeah. And um, you know, as as a friend of mine said, only two words. And his words were about time, about time uh, mm. that this is all taking place. And it just makes it that, that much more uh, critical that people understand uh, that 
you've got these tens of thousands of people out there risking their lives for principles of justice, principles of equality, and the, the kinds of things that we shouldn't even be worried about anymore after all yeah. these years. Um, I feel very lucky um, to have lived in Brooklyn for many, for all these years, 25 years, uh, where uh, our communities are, uh, I think, in reasonably good shape in yeah. terms of being neighbors, being friends, um, you know, having having things at home where half the people are black and half the people are white. I mean, you don't even think about that in Brooklyn yeah. um, or in a, a large part of New York City. Um, and that's a big step ahead of many places in this country. Um, but also, you still have all the big problems, those healthcare problems, where since we were the epicenter, as you said, we also saw the effect on the black and brown communities even worse. So, you know, there are good things about yeah. New York City in terms of partnership and understanding and equality, but there's still all these negatives that have to be addressed. Yeah. And the thing about, I just want to add that the point about those, those negatives, which is also a part of what we're seeing in these streets, some of these things are hard. If you're not a person of color, if you're not black, and you've got, you're, you're not racist at all, and you've got black friends who may say, the talk about the situations that people of color sometimes have to deal with, even in New York, because what has kind of been revealing are the more subtle ways that, right. or the least, or the more non-confrontational ways racism functions these days. It's not often easy to articulate or to illustrate. And, um, and I think that's been an issue when you sometimes have a discussion. Like I could take it back to the eighties. Of course, most of the cab drivers now are people of color, oftentimes from different places in Africa. I always, when I, you know, the few times I'm in a yellow cab these days, I don't do it that much anymore because since we had, you know, Uber and Lyft and, you know, but I would, I, I remember back in the eighties, it was very difficult to, to hail taxis in New York. Oh. And I remembered um, trying to express, like I remember Jean-Michel and I hanging out numerous times trying to get cabs that wouldn't stop. And our white friends would just step up and, and we'd step back a few steps and they would hail the cabs for us. But I remember, um, I remember back, back in the 80s, I was dating a young lady who, who happened to be white and she would see me go to hail a cab and when the cabs wouldn't stop for me, you know, I'd yell out an expletive, right? And so she would automatically go to get the cabs knowing that they're going to, it's going to be difficult. And when they would see that I was with her and they would pass us both up, she would yell out what I used to yell out, suck my dick. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Which is things that New Yorkers say, like when we're pissed. And I right. remember I looked at her and I'd be like, <laughs> but that was like a, a little humorous look at the frustrations and the subtle things. You know, I remember once again, I'm going to bring up my dear friend Jean-Michel, rest in peace, because he dealt with 
in in it now Jean Michel's the he's the great art art icon of this era of this of this time. But I can remember when Jean was who was literally one of the first people to wear his hair in his unique dreadlock stylings because the, what Jean Michel did with his hair nobody else did. So when Jean Michel and I would be walking down the street. I remember Broadway, Soho, sometimes people would see and they'd be like, <gasps> and they'd cross over. They'd dump, walk out into the street. They didn't want to walk past us. I can remember being with him, getting on elevators. And this is something many black folks have dealt with. And some white person doesn't want to get in. Because they're like, <gasps> so these are subtle things. There's countless numbers of them that I don't like to dwell on, but since this is the topic, just, just peeling the layers of that onion back and letting all our other brothers and sisters from every ethnicity, I mean, come on, the only race is human. Let's go back and really unravel and unwind this fallacy that was built in the 1600s to justify this idea of white supremacy so that people that were slave owners in America could feel good about themselves going to church on Sunday. So they created this whole fallacious, um, um, uh, like a construct, you know, a, a social construct of just built on on nonsense that's been that's now being dismantled at an accelerated pace but we've got a lot more work to do and justice for george floyd and a lot of other good things that need to happen tab as always yes. um i am i am so grateful that you were able to take the time to do this with me today i'm also happen to be looking forward of course to working with you on um, the next big uh, graffiti and street art exhibition at the beginning yeah. of next year. Yeah, really excited about that. The virus willing. Um, and tag. I'm tag. sorry. Tag. Yeah, right. <laughs> Great title. I'm, I'm sorry that we've had, you know, when people are busy, I, I'm sorry we haven't spent uh, part of these last 10 years together. But maybe well, I want to just jump in right now and say, like I told you in the email exchange, when you did that graffiti show in the early 2000s, I didn't even know I was involved. I took my little daughter, Sparkle, who just graduated at USC, by the way. Oh, um, congratulations. She, thank you so much. And she was a little one. And we said, man, I, somebody says that I'm, I'm like in this show. And I was completely puzzled. And when I walked in and the way you had my Mr. Potato Head painting, which is in the permanent collection of the Brooklyn, set up with these walls on either side in the middle of the exhibit that people could come and tag their names on, it was a delight. My daughter immediately started, you know, doing her little drawing and other families with their kids. So that was exciting. And I, I really appreciate what you guys did and the commitment way ahead of this becoming an even bigger movement internationally, the street art movement, and you guys um, really stepped up. So I, I commend you, Arnold, for that. Well, thank you. I just also want to tell you, I just also want to share, like a year ago, a, a collector um, of mine donated a small piece, a new piece of mine to the Brooklyn, and um, I had forgotten to sign this work. So last year I went to the Brooklyn and I was in the the place where they do the conservation. Uh, right, right. In the Brooklyn Museum. And I was so excited to be there and I signed it 
somebody filmed me on my phone doing it. And it was like a really thing. And then they took me to the storage area and they pulled out Mr. Potato Head for me. Oh, which was, that's great. That's that great. was exciting. Good. Thank you, yes. And thank you again so much. Be well. Yeah. And we'll be in touch a lot over the yes. next couple of months. Yeah, look forward to seeing you. And also maybe yeah. hopefully at some point inviting you here to my home in Harlem for a meal and to uh, continue this interesting discourse. I know how to get there. I know how to go, get baby. there. Because of, if I didn't, my friend Thelma would have, wow. my, would have my head. Yeah, Thelma uh, Golden. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> yes, yes, doing great work at the Studio Museum. Yes, can't indeed. wait for that to, uh, to yes. be built and open. Uh, yes, so, yes. Thanks again. Thank Take you, care. Man. Thanks we'll for taking. Yes, touch. I look forward to. Thanks for hanging out with everybody doing this Zoom thing. I do a lot of Zooms, but this is one of the cooler Zooms. So let's zoom it up, everybody. Absolutely. <laughs> bye bye. Take care. Peace.